coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and I, I, I always hesitate to say happy Monday, but I mean, by the time you're listening to this, it's at least after most work hours on Monday. So, hey, happy Monday afternoon or if you're not listening until Monday night, Monday night, or maybe you're listening Tuesday, whenever, happy to you. Happy start of the week to you. Let's do that. Yeah, happy start of the week. Remind me next Monday to do that, okay? Put that in the notes there. Hey, yeah, I mean, it's it's victory day in the A. The uh, Atlanta Falcons gave us a dove yesterday. Not that Desmond Ritter didn't try and fumble it away a few times. I, I'm rooting for that dude. I really am. I'm rooting for that dude. I want that dude to succeed. I, I have several friends who uh, either played high school and or college football. Uh, a couple of friends who actually played pro football. And to a man, they're all like, he ain't it. He ain't it. But I keep seeing these things in his performance that tell me, you know what? He No, I see that there. I see something there. I want to believe in Desmond Ritter. I really do. Nothing better than to see like a third-round draft pick. I mean, Tom Brady was, what, a fifth-round draft pick? How about the guy starting for the 49ers in San Francisco, Brock Purdy? Literally the last guy drafted in the NFL draft that he was available. They call that Mr. Irrelevant. That's how unlikely the last person drafted is to make it on an NFL roster, let alone be the starting quarterback. So I want to believe in Desmond Ritter. I really do. But you, you, you can't give up the ball as much as he does. And it a couple weeks ago, it was interceptions. Yesterday, it was three fumbles. He's coughed up the ball, I want to say, like eight times in the last three games. And The Falcons are 2-1 and one in those games, so go figure. But we, we got to cut that out, bro. I will say this. As a real estate agent, a residential realtor, I learn things with every transaction that I take part in. There are things that I do. Oh, can't do that again. Won't do that next time. Won't do it. And I keep hoping that maybe that's where we are now. Like, he had the rest of his game so short up. He threw really great passes yesterday. Made great decisions when it came to throwing the ball. Made good decisions even when it came to running the ball, except for the part about protecting the ball. So, you know what? You didn't come here to listen to me talk about sports. I'm just telling you, this is why I'm in a good mood. The Falcons got to win against the hated Buccaneers in Tampa. Oh, love that. Sorry for my friend, uh, uh, my friends uh, Darren and Francesca who live in Tampa. Whatever. Eat glass. We won. <laughs> Don't eat glass. Second half of the show, my guest is Representative Terry Anulowitz from Cobb County. She is the district, I believe, 42 representative in the Georgia House of Representatives. And she got an email that all Cobb County taxpayers got from the Cobb County School District that literally, I believe, when you read her tweet about it, her off. She was not a happy woman, and I don't blame her, because you wouldn't expect to get an email from your school district that talks hyper-partisanship, right? You just don't expect to get an email from your kid's school district grousing about socialists and Marxists and... Okay, so this one didn't, didn't but they did talk about leftist activists, and then called out Stacey Abrams who had nothing to do with anything that they were talking about. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Anyway, we're going to have uh, Representative uh, Terry Anulowitz on to discuss her reaction to that. And we'll kind of dive into the background as to why this one governing body in Cobb County is 
throwing a hissy, like literally kind of just unhappy, it seems, with the overall county that they serve. So you have to understand, Cobb County is a blue county, but it hadn't always been a blue county. In fact, before the 2016 election cycle, it wasn't a reliable county for Democrats at all. And then Hillary Clinton carried it in 2016 and Stacey Abrams in 2018. And people started thinking, is Cobb a purple county? Uh-uh. Because Joe won it in 2020 and Stacey won it again in 2022 when she actually didn't do as well in her second run for governor as she did in her first. No, Cobb County is a blue county. Cobb County has a three to two majority Democratic county commission. However, the General Assembly tried to undo that. You'll recall we've had Commissioner Jerrica Richardson on who got drawn out of her district halfway into her term. And, of course, the board managed to fight that off using home rule to keep their district representation intact. For now, anyway. Well, the Cobb County School Board is a majority Republican school board with, again, its districts drawn at the state level by its legislative contingent in coordination with county representation. So we'll discuss how, how this all came to be with Representative Terry Anulowitz from Smyrna. First thing I want to bring to your attention today is what I believe to be a dire circumstance over in DeKalb County. Uh, animal shelters throughout the country are overwhelmed and overpopulated and it's no different in DeKalb County at the shelter, which is uh, in Chambly and managed by a fantastic nonprofit organization, Lifeline Animal Project, who, by the way, offers reduced uh, reduced fee services for your pets uh, on, on a sliding scale needs-based situation. Uh, anyway, they have had ongoing health and safety issues at the shelter. They have usually more than 700 dogs in a 400-dog shelter. And while they would love to be a euthanasia-free organization and shelter, they're at the point now where they've had to confess to needing to resort to euthanasia to keep conditions humane. Sad story, one that we can help them address. Obviously, the simplest way to do that would be to go and adopt versus shopping. And I know a lot of folks want specific breeds and all that jazz, that, that's great. But uh, listen, as someone who, first of all, I'm a bit frugal when it comes to spending on big ticket items. I would love to have an English Bulldog. I would love to have like a little Boston Terrier. I mean, they're cute, but I can't afford them. And also, in, in my mind, the whole breeding thing, like there, there are a reason that there are health issues with uh, animals that are, are bred specifically to look a certain way. So... I always tell people, you know, adopt, don't shop. I know it sounds cliche, but it's so important. And we cannot, as a society, seem to get a handle on the spaying and neutering of our own pets to keep the pet population under control, which is another bone of contention I might have with us uh, on the whole. But nonetheless, it just sucks. It's sad that uh, we we see these these shelters just overrun with pets uh, who deserve a better fate than to be in an overcrowded shelter and or then to be euthanized because of our own inability to do what we're responsible for doing, which is, of course, controlling our pet population and keeping the pets that we adopt in the first place. Uh, anyway, the uh, article that I saw last week in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution uh, spoke to the fact that the number of dogs needing to be euthanized at the DeKalb shelter uh, each week 
in Chamblee could more than quadruple to more than 60 per week. And that is, again, managed by Lifeline Animal Project, whose CEO, Rebecca Gwynn, uh, announced that decision last Thursday night um, when she was on a call with members of the uh, County Animal Service Advisory Board. Um, so Lifeline manages the shelter, and county officials came to uh, them to uh, you know assist them with that. Uh, DeKalb CEO Michael Thurman called for the meeting with Lifeline following a report that the Atlanta Journal-Constitution released uh, about problems at the shelter, which the state has cited for health and sanitation violations more often than all other public shelters in Metro Atlanta combined. And before we go getting mad, again, at Lifeline Animal Shelter, they're, they're just doing the best that they can with the limited facilities that they have. And, of course, the funding as well. That's also an important component to the care of these animals. Uh, back to the article. Until now, the DeKalb Shelter under Lifeline's management has aimed to keep euthanasia rates as low as possible, a decision some now blame for the severe overcrowding. Again, I could point more towards the human element, but whatever. At various points in recent months, nearly 700 dogs have been held at a shelter built for 250. And uh, the Lifeline CEO, Rebecca Gwynn, said that the shelter is at a breaking point and cannot humanely manage the number of dogs in its care. On average, according to the article, the shelter has been euthanizing two dogs a day. Uh, as part of a 60-day plan to reduce the shelter's dog population, that now number could now rise to as many as nine dogs each day. How we can help? Obviously, adopting. Uh, and I will share a link in today's show notes at ronshowetl.com. You can see the dogs that are for adoption uh, through Lifeline at the DeKalb Shelter. You can also, by the way, my, my friend Yoshi, uh, my friend Jonathan, uh, had his beautiful, sweet dog pass earlier this summer. And he has been not only volunteering at various Lifeline shelters, but has also been fostering. Fostering is a fantastic idea. In fact, it's something that I'm even going to look into. Uh, I only have my own pets every other week. Thank you, divorce. Um, so I may look into the ability to maybe at least foster every other week. Uh, the disposition of a pet, especially a dog, um, changes dramatically after leaving those shelters, which are, you know, for, for a lot of pets, cats and dogs, uh, loud and smelly and not comforting. And you've got, uh, you know, other animals who may not be as, as hospitable to each other. It's just a traumatic situation. And it, taking that pet away from that circumstance and into uh, a warm and caring and loving home for just a few days or a week or a couple of weeks or however long you can do it can really make a difference in uh, presenting that dog or cat even, in a more adoptable light. So I uh, just wanted to bring this uh, plight to your attention. I just thought it was something that was worthy of a little bit of airtime today. I, I wanted to bring it up Friday, and we just, so much other stuff going on between the, <laughs> the Republican House mess and Israel and Palestine and so many other things uh, worth talking about. But obviously, this is something uh, near and dear to my heart as well. Uh, according to the AJC, there are now about 615 dogs in the animal shelter in DeKalb at Chamblee. And that must 
be consistently reduced to 450 or fewer, according to Lifeline CEO Rebecca Gwynn's letter. Uh, That means at least 21 dogs a day must leave the shelter, whether through adoptions, foster, rescue transfers, or euthanasia. I can't speak to your circumstance to know if you were considering perhaps adopting uh, a dog for a loved one for the holidays, maybe moving that up, that time frame up a little bit is something to consider. Or again, uh, if you have kids and you're thinking about having a dog, maybe one of the first ways you can teach your children responsibility and care for another living being is by fostering just something to consider. I'll have all that in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. More Ron Show after this on the America One Radio app, americawonradio.com, wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show Monday. Representative Terry Anolwitz joins us next segment. We will talk about that bizarre cop school board sanctioned lashing out at leftist politicians and uh, her reaction to that. And really, the uh, I guess the overarching theme we're spotting out of Cobb County is there is a right-wing establishment political hold on a county that isn't just trending blue. It's blue, and they are clinging to that county by their fingernails at the tips. Anyway, we'll talk with Representative Anolitz about that in just a few minutes. Sometimes uh, I share things on social media that I don't just want you to partake in, but also that I have to hear as well. One of those would happen to be uh, uh, one of my favorite TikTok follows, uh, Politics Girl on TikTok. She goes off on all of us who are obsessed with President Joe Biden's age, myself included. Talking about Biden's age isn't irrelevant. It's just pointless. He's the candidate. And sure, as far as marketability, it might have been better if the Democrats were running a 60-year-old Joe Biden and not the 80-year-old Joe Biden. But as far as qualifications and capability, I'm not sure there's anyone better than 80-year-old Joe Biden in 2024. Hmm. Joe Biden has presided over the strongest post-pandemic recovery in the G7. He's added over 13 million jobs to our economy. He passed the Infrastructure and Jobs Act to finally fix our crumbling roads and bridges, rid the country of lead pipes, and bring even the most rural locations in America high-speed broadband. He's strengthened U.S. alliances and partnerships all around the world, Mm -hmm. stood up for democracy as an autocratic rival nation attempted to take over a democratic one. He found an alternative to our dependence on China by signing a comprehensive strategic partnership partnership with Vietnam. He brought semiconductor manufacturing back to the U.S., passed the PACT Act to support our veterans and their survivors, Mm -hmm. passed a bill to protect the fundamental right to marriage, Mm -hmm. signed executive orders to help protect reproductive rights as the Republicans strip them away from us every day. He passed the most historic climate action in our nation's history through the Inflation Reduction Act, an act which also reduced the cost of pharmaceutical drugs and capped insulin for seniors at $35. Mm -hmm. He canceled more than $127 billion in student loan debt for 3.6 million citizens and passed the most significant gun safety law in decades. He's also managing to lead in a way no one else could have during the crisis that's happening in the Middle East, standing strong with our ally Israel while continuing to send hundreds of millions of dollars in humanitarian aid to the innocent Palestinians caught in the crossfire. There is no simple solution to that terrible crisis, but I am relieved that it's Joe Biden and the competent Democrats he's placed in charge that are at the wheel right now. Joe Biden may be chronologically old, but he's extraordinarily competent. 
I don't know about you, but I don't vote for leaders based on their looks or their age or their gender. I vote for leaders who share my values and have the ability to accomplish what they say they're going to accomplish. Everything else is just window dressing. And honestly, if you truly feel hung up on age, please remember that Biden has surrounded himself with the youngest, most diverse group of staffers in modern history. And his vice president, if you can look past the racism and misogyny, is a wildly competent, brilliant woman in her 50s. Biden's emphasis on empathy and inclusivity had him hosting White House meetings with young social media influencers because he knows that's where the youth of America are getting their news Mm -hmm. and he wanted to meet them where they were. He's humble and collaborative. And we'd be fools to forget that the upside of age is wisdom, something Joe Biden has in spades. (laughs) He knows how Washington works, which is why he's been able to get more done in his first term than any president in the last hundred years. Hell, anecdotally, Joe Biden's exceptionally close to his grandchildren. So he actually cares about the future he's leaving for them. Could you say the same thing about his opponent? I'm not entirely sure the Republican frontrunner even knows his grandchildren's names. Mm. Biden's age has become such a trope that even when he overdelivers, like he did in his whirlwind diplomatic tour overseas, people still act like he was infirmed and not headlining 40-minute press conferences after pulling all-nighters. Honestly, I'm in my 40s and you should see me after a transatlantic flight. I'm a wreck. I'm out for a day. (laughs) Biden is fit and active and healthy. Yeah, he's old, but Trump's only three years younger and in far poorer health. So what are we even talking about? The idea that new polling shows that Biden and Trump are seen as nearly equally corrupt and mentally unfit is out of the realm of reality. But it sure is a testament to the power of partisanship and the destructive nature of a press corps who prioritizes viewership and ad dollars over truth and facts. That's true. At the end of the day, age shouldn't matter. Competence should. Value should. Actions should. As NYU professor and expert on authoritarians and propaganda, Ruth Ben-Ghiat says, we have to make sure more people understand that Joe Biden is the bulwark protecting our democratic freedoms from the alternative. And that the alternative is so much worse than most Americans can imagine. Mm -hmm. So let's just stop it with the age thing. It is what it is. The question is, which boomer on the ticket is gonna steer the country in the direction you wanna go? Because the captain sets the course and I care where he's headed, not how many candles are on his cake. Politics girl on TikTok. And by the way, I said from the outset, that's not just something that I'm like sharing so that you guys can hear it. I had to absorb it first myself because I am one of those folks that's a little concerned about going into the 2024 election cycle with Joe Biden at his age being the nominee and the lack of enthusiasm amongst the electorate. Because I understand that... It's just human nature. It it just, all right, listen, I spent about half of my radio broadcasting career, uh, more than two dozen years, managing radio stations and knowing that, here's a great example. The Rolling Stones just released a new album with music that even featured Lady Gaga. Now, if I were managing a pop top 40 radio station whose target audience are 18 to 34 year olds, I would be reluctant to wanting to put a song with the Rolling Stones and Lady Gaga in rotation on my station's playlist. Why? Because I know the 18 to 34-year-old audience, they're not feeling it. Yeah, it's cool Mick Jagger was on Saturday Night Live and Lady Gaga is Lady Gaga and she sells out stadiums full of uh, of ticket holders, but even she doesn't have the cachet that the 18 to 34-year-old pop music audience is adhering to anymore. That's the voter that needs to turn out, though. And I even spend a little bit of time right now hand-wringing over polls that kind of give me pause. But then again, we're still like 12 months out from Election Day, and I believe Bob Dole was ahead of 
Bill Clinton, 49 to 45, heading into January of 1996, if I'm not mistaken. So with a grain of salt. As for his aides, let me put it to you this way. There are those on the right who wanted to point out that he went to his beach home this weekend and somebody got video of him walking along the beach for a few seconds. Yesterday, however, and tell me what your Sunday was like. Uh, He had calls with Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, Pope Francis. He met with the leaders of uh, over the phone uh, from Canada, France, Britain, Germany, and Italy, all after speaking to the Pope and Benjamin Netanyahu as well. I hate, I don't know about y'all, but I, I don't like phone calls. I mean, I do them for interviews. I like that. But I don't, like when people want to talk to me on the phone, ugh, can this be a text? Could this be an email? But Joe Biden, in his 80s, is taking those calls, those whirlwind flights across the country and back, and not missing a step. So, okay, he took a walk on the beach yesterday. BFD. It's all a matter of perspective, and I have to remind myself of that as well from time to time. More Ron Show after this. Representative Terry Anolwitz joins us next when the Ron Show returns on America One Radio or wherever you podcast. Take the Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One Radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go. Or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, so before we bring Representative Terry Anolwitz to the show, let's set the scene. It was actually laid out pretty well in uh, the jolt column at this morning's Atlanta Journal-Constitution, noting that the Cobb County School District sent an email to parents using terms like leftist political activist uh, and blaming them for seeking to overhaul the school board's political boundaries. And a lot of local Democrats are not happy about this. Uh, So the email was sent out a few days ago by the law firm Freeman, Mathis, and Gary. Uh, hired by the school board to help them deal with litigation when it came to school board maps. Anyway, that law firm sent that email to update parents on the litigation as the jolt writes, uh, which is nearing a resolution after the county elections board opted to settle the case rather than wage a court battle. Bear in mind, by the way, Cobb County, I have said this before, since 2016, has become a reliably blue county. It went for Hillary Clinton in 2016. Stacey Abrams in 2018, Joe Biden in 2020, Stacey Abrams again in 2022. We've seen where we had uh, battles at the county commission level where a 3-2 Democratic Party majority runs the county, but at the state legislative level, they've been trying to redraw maps at the county, and they have the right to do that at every county. 159 counties, they draw all these maps. Anyway, uh, the state legislature has the power to draw maps and basically decided in Cobb County to override an obvious liberal majority to draw out Jerrica Richardson from the commission seat in the middle of her term. We've had her on a couple times to discuss that. She too is running for Congress now, by the way. So the remaining body of government in Cobb County that is in Republican control is the Cobb County School Board. Hence why a teacher who read a book about inclusivity lost her job. Hence why book bans are popular in Cobb County. Again, despite the fact that the county is pretty much a reliably blue county now, the conservative school board, led by a conservative superintendent, Chris Ragsdale, has been governing this blue county school district in a manner contrary to its electorate's ideology. Joining me to discuss all of that is Representative Terry Nolowitz from Cobb County. You were, by the way, on the Smyrna Council and Mayor Pro Tem as well, so that kind of gives us an idea of what part of Cobb County you're from. Thank you for joining the Ron Show, by the way. I appreciate it. 
Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I have been uh, living and serving in Cobb County for quite a while. So uh, I read your tweet and shared it yesterday at Ron Show ATL on Twitter or X or whatever the heck we're calling it now. And I, I viscerally felt the outrage of a mom who got that email and was offended. I literally, I totally, I like my mama would have been running down to the school board, wanting to talk to somebody and not leaving until she got some in front of somebody's desk. And I really, I felt that vibe from you yesterday. Did it, did, did the email really hit you in that sort of vein? Well, it did. I'm reading this email. And I think the, the important context that we need to remember is that the email platform that the district used and that the taxpayers fund this is a communication platform that is used to, you know, let us know if there is inclement weather. It's to let us know yeah. that the buses have all left. It's to let us know that it's the third quarter of the football game. So make your plans to pick up your kid. Mm. You know, this is not an email platform that is typically used for hyperpartisan, strident, hyperbolic language about leftist political activists <laughs> and Stacey Abrams and every other, you know, talking point that the GOP has decided they're going to be throwing at us. And what's so interesting is, you know, yeah, a lot of the sort of usual suspects, right, the people who are very online, who they were very engaged in activism about the school board, those folks were going to say something, and, and that's expected. But what was so interesting to me is the texts that I started getting from folks, from constituents, were not the typical people who I usually hear from who are outraged by what the Republicans on the board are doing. I was hearing from just normal rank and file workaday parents who got this text and got this email and they're like, this is weird. Like, why are they sending this? Yeah. I mean, I think most people, like most people are not like us necessarily that they're really, really, really closely following everything that's happening with the board of education they, they might have knew they might know it abstractly that there's a, a lawsuit but it's not something that was really impacting their day-to-day -day. but then all of a sudden like, like the, i used the comparison of in 2014 when bono and tim cook with apple decided yes. that everybody needed a u2 album and we all woke up and we had a u2 album right and we were like well i didn't i didn't want a u2 album didn't but ask for that right okay yeah that's weird and that's kind of I felt the exact same way when I'm reading this email. I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> like, why, why are they sending this? I mean, it's just such a, you know, again, if Raymond Mathis or you know, their lawyers, they're going to write something, let the Republicans on the board send it out to their own email mm. distribution list yes. that they fund with their campaign funds, right? Yes. Like, this is, a, this is campaign rhetoric. And that, I think, is why it's so weird and just so bonkers to read it on the platform where we hear about, the school buses having left for the day. Like it's just, it's so incongruous with what that platform is intended for. And so I think everyone, everyone who I've talked to, again, and this is, you know, people in both parties were like, that's really, it's just, it was weird. It's so weird. So there, there are two hypotheses, and I think you covered them both in your tweet thread, that either this this was an accident and was not meant to be put out, or it was done on purpose. And I, I feel like either one is sort of damning and galling. What, what would you would you want to yeah. extrapolate on that a little bit? Yeah, I don't I don't think it was accidental. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think they either. knew what they were doing, but I think it was, you know, the options that I sort of go through is either they thought that they would send it and everyone would get it and be like, yeah, right on. Or they were sending it because they are trying to rile up 
partisan rage. Yeah. And that to me would be, I mean, I do think that that is the case. And I also think that it's extremely unfortunate because we just want our kids to be educated, yeah. right? Like we want our kids to be able to, you know, either, you know, go on to college or go on to have a career, but we want our children to be able to thrive as grownups. And we are hoping that they'll get the foundation that they need to thrive as grownups through in part their K-12 education. And it's very concerning that you have a superintendent who insists that politics should be kept out of the classroom. Uh, yeah, but, but yet but this part they're is, so eager to, to throw their politics at us yeah. through the email platform. Well, not just the email platform, but it, it feels as if uh, Superintendent Ragsdale and the board, uh, majority anyway, have been looking to pick a fight for a while. Uh, they singled out a teacher for a book about inclusivity. Uh, they've gone on a book banning spree. I, I mean, it, it seems to me like there, there's a bigger story at play here, and I don't know who or among those on the right have higher or loftier aspirations, but it really does feel like there's a setup for a, a, a loftier perch for somebody down the road. And I, I'm just speculating, and you don't have to, but uh, that's... No, no, I mean, it, yeah, it could be that. And I think also just the greater context of the fact that, you know, Cobb County, and this is the same Cobb County Board of Education, not the same people, but mm. the same entity that gave us, you know, in the around the turn of the century, the, you know, 99, 2000, 2001, they gave us the stickers inside the science textbooks reminding us all that evolution was but a theory. You know, this is that same entity. This is the same county that did not have any Olympic events when the 96 Olympics were in Atlanta because the Board of Commissioners issued a resolution stating that the homosexual lifestyle, as they called it, was not in keeping with the values of Cobb County. Mm -hmm. So this is the right, this is the Cobb County that gave us Newt Gingrich. And the reality now is that today's Cobb County is the Cobb County that in 2016, the majority of voters voted for Hillary Clinton. In 2020, the county went easily for Joe Biden. You know, every almost every countywide office is held by a Democrat. And so the only reason the Board of Education is able to maintain their Republican majority is because they have these maps. Mm -hmm. Right. Like if they were elected countywide. Republicans wouldn't win because Republicans don't win countywide in Cobb County anymore because Cobb County is majority Democrat. And that is just the reality. And so, uh, you know, we know that fear is a very powerful motivator. And I think that you have a group of folks who are very scared of losing their relevance, losing their power, losing whatever influence it is that they think they have. And frankly, I think they may be overthinking their own influence. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating, but I do think that at the essence of this, at the core of this is fear. And it's the fear from a group of mostly men mm. uh, who are very concerned about losing the power that they have. And right now where they have that power is the board of education. We are on the phone with Representative Terry Nulowitz from House District 42 uh, in Cobb County. We're talking a little bit about this very partisan dripping school board email that went out last week that just targeted uh, leftist organizations and activists and even in, uh, invoked Stacey Abrams, who has absolutely nothing to do with school board maps in Cobb County, ridiculously uh, that, that we even have to say that. But we are, again, talking about Cobb County, and you are on, you're in the General Assembly, and it's the General Assembly that gets to draw maps at the county level, which I find to be kind of asinine, given that we have 159 counties in this uh, state, and you guys have a lot other things to be done, and it's 2023, and we have 
computer programs that can draw these maps. But Cobb County's no stranger to this because even the commission has had to do, you know, we've had Jerrica Richardson on this show a few times and, you know, she literally got drawn out in the middle of her term. That's right. Yeah. The funniest part of that was when she was drawn out, the folks who drew the map said, well, you know, she shouldn't have moved. But if you look at her original address, that house was also drawn out. (laughs) So there's a little bit of disingenuity there. But yeah, so and so you talked about the General Assembly drawing the maps, and that's something that's important to clarify also. So typically in Georgia, Mm -hmm. you have these 159 counties, and there is what's called a local bill, local legislation. And there's a different process for local legislation than you have for general legislation. Local legislation is, you know, for example, whatever county you're in and, you know, whatever school board that is, your delegation, your local legislative delegation, so all of the elected officials from that county Mm -hmm. will work with those, ideally work with those elected officials to draw a map that represents the communities of interest in those counties. Again, I live in Cobb County. I don't know what the communities of interest are in Columbia County, nor should I be drawing maps that impact Columbia County. So there has always been that precedent. In fact, leading up to the special the special legislative session that we had for redistricting, the you know the late Speaker of the House, David Ralston, sent a letter to everyone in the General Assembly on the House reminding them this is how, this is the process, this is how we do this. We respect the local delegations and we're going to have these as local bills. Well, what happened in Cobb and also in Gwinnett and in a few other counties where you had a majority Democratic legislative delegation, mm-hmm. these bills were removed from that local process and moved to general legislation, which mm-hmm. means that now every person in the House of Representatives is going to be voting on what should be and what is intended to be a local decision. So that happened with the county commission maps, which is what you talked about with Commissioner Richardson, and that happened with these Board of Education maps. And so it was really just a total disregard to legislative precedent to do these maps as as general legislation. Like normally, the maps for the county commission and the maps of the boards of education do not go through the House committee process. Because again, the House Government Affairs Committee does not have time to sit right. through a legislative hearing for 159 counties exactly. and who knows how many schools. But that's just not it's it's absurd. It doesn't make sense. But they're picking and choosing but when they do want to take that. That's exactly right. They're picking and choosing and they, the ones they happen to choose were the counties that were densely populated like Cobb and Gwinnett that were majority Democratic, that didn't always or didn't used to be a majority Democratic. They're not going to try this for Fulton or DeKalb, mm. but they're going to do it for counties like Cobb and Gwinnett where they are very concerned about losing what relevance the GOP has in those counties. And so it's really, you know, the things that they put in this email, I mean, again, a lot of them are just so totally irrelevant and not fact-based, like talking about how, you know, we appointed a Democratic member to the Board of Elections. Well, yes, we did, because the way our our delegation rules are structured, the Cobb delegate, you know, the legislative delegation appoints a member, the Democratic Party appoints a member, the county commission appoints a member, the Cobb Republican Party appoints their member, mm. and the appointee from the delegation retired, had nothing to do with any. She retired, and mm. so we appointed a new member, as one does. It had nothing to do with any maps or any litigation. It's a thing you do so you don't have a vacancy on the board of elections. But again, whoever wrote this at Freeman Mathis Gary decided to make that part of this. They're, they're, they're grasping the same reason why they included Stacey Abrams. You know, she's sort of a 
this this you know a boogeyman yeah I mean, yeah, yeah yeah she's a boogeyman to a lot of republicans it's like well she had nothing to do with this process like i'm vice chair of the delegation eric allen was chair of the delegation i can tell you for a fact stacy abrams never came to any delegation meetings <laughs> we're talking about i mean it's absurd that's an absurd fiction and again it is ridiculous for that to have been included in an email sent to every parent in cobb county Absolutely. Well, like I said, I thought your tweet thread really kind of channeled the anger that a lot of parents should have, uh, left, right, or otherwise. That's the sort of language that just doesn't belong in, uh, you know, a school district uh, dialogue. And again, it just makes me wonder, you know, is there someone on the board or in the superintendent's office who has loftier aspirations, who's kind of showboating and preening a little bit like a show horse before committed campaign donors? Right. Well, and that's what, you know, that I don't know. I can't speculate on that, but I do know that again, it's just, it, it, it is just a very, it was a strange, weird thing for them to have sent out. It's now creating extra hours of work for, <laughs> for district staff, that's which true. most of them are probably not super excited about this. And again, that's a tax, that's a fiscal issue. That's a taxpayer funding issue also, yeah. right? Like is the highest and best use of these professionals time now dealing with what, their bosses thought was a good idea to send out. I don't think so. Uh, and real quick, while I got you, before I let you go, I wanted to promote the uh, the, the podcast that you uh, participate in with uh, uh, former Senator uh, Senator Jen Jordan and uh, Mara Davis, uh, the Vote Her podcast. Tell us a little bit about that and where we can find it. Yes, you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. It's Vote Her, V-O-T-E-H-E-R. We actually just recorded one this morning that will be dropping tomorrow. We are putting new episodes out weekly, but we do. We just sort of give our perspective on the biggest stories happening in Georgia politics, and we have a lot of fun. Good. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. We, yeah, we, uh, it's, a, it's a good listen, and it's always under an hour, which is good. Yeah, all right. Well, I'll include that in today's show notes, as well as your tweet uh, reacting to this school district uh, email that went out as well. Representative Terry Anulowicz, thank you so much for joining the Ron Show today. Ron, thank you for having me. Final segment of the Ron Show for Monday. We live in some strange times. I find myself saying that an awful lot more here of late. But last week, we saw several attempts to get a new House speaker and a man by the name of Jim Jordan from a very gerrymandered Ohio district. The man has never passed a single piece of legislation, not even had a piece of legislation go to a committee for markup. Guy has worked in Congress for 16 plus years, still can't afford a jacket apparently, and has nothing to show for the work that he's done. And yet we have a litany of evidence that he was the one that Donald Trump wanted to be Speaker of the House, if not, of course, Donald Trump. And the way that the MAGA movement was going to try to make it happen was by bullying Republican holdouts who weren't willing to vote for him. Marionette Miller Meeks uh, last Wednesday released a statement that called out the threats she was getting, saying, I have received credible death threats and a barrage of threatening calls. The proper authorities have been notified and my office is cooperating fully. One thing I cannot stomach or support is a bully. Drew Ferguson, who defected from Jim Jordan last Thursday, I believe, said shortly after casting my, that vote, my family and I started receiving death threats. That is simply unacceptable, unforgivable, and will never be tolerated. 
Republican Congressman Ken Buck on Meet the Press. I've had four death threats. I've been evicted from my uh, office in uh, the in Colorado. Uh, I have notice of an eviction um, because the landlord is mad with my uh, voting record uh, on, on the speaker issue. Um, and everybody in the conference is getting this. So so it's natural. Uh, family members have been approached and, and threatened. Uh, all kinds of things are going on. There's going to be some uh, some tension Four death threats, Congressman, because you're not supporting Jim Jordan. That's right. Remember in the run up to the 2016 election when Hillary Clinton called a certain batch of conservative voters a basket of deplorables. Once again, we have to go back in time and look at what she said and realize she she knew she was right. She was and, and I it pains me to say that I'm a Bernie guy, y'all. We can sit here and litigate how how she may have messed up her own potential to get elected all we want, but man, basket of deplorables is about as succinct a way to characterize a certain batch of folks as can be. When they don't get their way, it's death threats, it's hissy fits, it's storming buildings. The uh, Noonan congressman had folks outside his office uh, late last week, early uh, through the weekend, protesting that he didn't stand up for Jim Jordan, who is the congressional equivalent, I guess, of Donald Trump. Which, if you think about it, makes a lot of sense, because Jim Jordan sat in Congress for 16 years and can't author a piece of legislation. Can't even get one to committee to get marked up. But boy, he gets a lot of TV time, right? He's on Fox News a lot. He's a soundbite machine. Donald Trump, a soundbite machine. TV reality star. Marjorie Taylor Greene, soundbite machine. Loves the camera. Lauren Boebert, soundbite machine. Loves the camera. None of these folks that I'm mentioning can draft cogent legislation that's worth even getting to committee to get marked up. But they're the face of the MAGA movement, of the modern Republican Party. And to quote the ShamWow guy, but wait, there's more. Guy who just got out of prison, a West Virginia former state delegate, is now running for Congress after serving time for being a part of the January 6th riot and insurrection on the U.S. Capitol. Now... He's going to run for Congress, and he's in West Virginia, so of course he's got a shot. I tell my super progressive followers and friends this all the time. You can bitch and moan all you want to about Joe Manchin, but consider the alternative. Will you take a guy that votes with Joe Biden 83% of the time? I don't know what the number is right now. Or would you prefer that we not have him and you get somebody who will vote for Joe- with Joe Biden 0% of the time? Hell, we're lucky Derek Evans isn't going to run for a Senate seat from West Virginia because with that track record, he's a shoe-in. But can he write a piece of legislation? I doubt it. Credible death threats. Republican politicians are getting credible death threats called into their offices, sent to their families. <laughs> and you remember the, 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 the Pearl Clutchery? Well, how dare you? When we were a little concerned that the former Alaska governor, Sarah Palin, was sharing on social media maps of congressional district with gun crosshairs on them. Hell yeah, your base is crazy. 
Well, not all of it, but a good chunk of enough of it. It only takes so many. But notice none of this came about when Kevin McCarthy got the boot or when Steve Scalise didn't win when he had the shot to get enough votes. No, it, it's not that it's Republicans aren't winning the House Speaker race. It's that a certain kind of Republicans aren't being embraced by the establishment and, of course, won't be embraced by the Democrats. And hilariously, somehow, this is the fault of Democrats, too, I'm sure, right? Kevin McCarthy? Wink, wink. That's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Show notes at ronshowatl.com. Meet you here next episode. <laughs>